All right, Four Oaks Church, it is Friday morning, Friday for you, Sunday for us. Um, we have wrangled Greg Allison and tied him up and brought him in here and <laughs> held him captive and made him answer all of our theological, biblical questions about everything. And so, Greg, thanks for being with Absolutely. us this week. Yes, yeah. thanks. So this is Friday. It's our last our last session with Greg. And I wanted to follow up with um, a series of questions, Greg, related to the Roman Catholic view of the Eucharist, okay, and how that relates to us as Protestants. I, I think I can say um, here at Four Oaks, the the Lord's Supper has not always played a prominent role okay. in our worship times. Um, um, it's probably only been over the last six or seven years that we have begun celebrating the Lord's Supper weekly. Okay. And, right. and before that, it was much less frequent. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. And first of all, um, in your book, The 40 Questions About Roman Catholicism, I highly recommend to you, um, you talk about the, the ways that Catholics and Protestants, different ways they refer to the Eucharist, um, the sacraments versus ordinances. And so maybe mm -hmm. just explain the difference in that terminology and what bearing that has on this issue. So sacraments, according to Augustine, who ended lived at the end of the fourth century, beginning of the fifth century, defined sacrament as a tangible, visible sign of an invisible yet real grace. So a tangible and visible sign, water, oil, bread, wine, of an invisible yet real grace, um, regeneration, uh, empowerment by the Holy Spirit, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So that's a sacrament. Uh, many of our Protestant brothers and sisters continue to call that celebration uh, of uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper, they continue to call it sacraments. Which means what? What is a sacrament? Well, again, this, this visible and tangible okay, sign, okay, right, right, of okay. this invisible and real okay. grace. So they continue to call it sacrament, but kind of remove from its Catholic connotations to some degree. But then, uh, particularly Baptists or, or free church people wanting to move completely away from any kind of mysterious, magical view of baptism and the Lord's Supper said, we're not going to use the term sacraments anymore. We're going to use the term ordinances okay. for baptism and the Lord's Supper because these are the only two rites, R-I-T-E-S, that Jesus ordained, yes. hence ordinances. Mm -hmm. Baptism, he ordained that uh, in the Great Commission. The Lord's Supper, he ordained that at the Last Supper. Okay. So yes. we, we, many Protestants continue to use the word sacraments. Many also continue to use now the term ordinances. Okay, so maybe just briefly explain the idea of transubstantiation yep. as it relates to the Mass, the Roman Catholic Eucharist, and then how the different reformers understood that or pushed back against that. Transubstantiation is the official Roman Catholic view. It was proclaimed the official view in 1215 at the Fourth Lateran Council. It was a major convention of the leaders of the Roman Catholic Church. Later that century, Thomas Aquinas provided the philosophical and theological underpinnings for it. The basic idea is that when the priest consecrates the bread and the wine, uh, the substance of the bread and the substance of the wine change. 
so that the substance of the bread now becomes the body of Christ, the substance of the wine now becomes the blood of Christ. The accidents, that which we can perceive with our senses, what we can see and smell and taste and touch and all like that, they remain the same. The bread still looks like bread, the wine still looks like wine, it still smells like wine, tastes like wine, smells like bread, tastes like bread, but instead it, there's been a substantival, a change in the very nature of the bread and wine such that the Catholic faithful then are taking the body and blood of Jesus Christ as they celebrate the Eucharist, that sacrament. Uh, many Protestants have a misunderstanding of this. They think that at the Mass later today mm. in the Catholic Church, Jesus will be re-sacrificed for the 4,395,000,000th, 475,000th time. That's a time. lot of re right? yeah. And that's not at all what Catholics yeah. believe. They believe with the book of Roman, a book of Hebrews, that Christ sacrificed himself once and for all. So rather, what they believe is that one sacrificial, atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago does not remain uh, in space and time locked back then, but is represented okay. and uh, becomes present uh, in the Mass later on today. So when Catholics talk about Christ being present, yes. they do mean he's physically present. He is sacramentally, yes, uh, substantively, okay. right, uh, present. Okay. Um, not metaphorically or just uh, in our remembrance. Okay. So Luther, um, obviously, people don't may not realize this. Um, you obviously do because you're highly trained. <laughs> but um, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, remained a huge point of division even among the different branches of yep. Protestantism. Yep. And so what was, wh why so much division there? If, if they're all agreed that they're, that this is not a process of transubstantiation, right. okay, and that grace is being infused, what was the controversy about? So Luther says transubstantiation does not have a biblical basis, it doesn't have a good historical basis. Right. It's, it's grounded philosophically, which is all wrong. So he says, we can't believe in transubstantiation. His view is now called consubstantiation, rather than the bread and the wine changing in terms of its substance, its essence. The body and blood of Jesus Christ are in, with, and under the bread and the wine. So Christ is present, but it's not a change in substance. Okay. Think of a sponge immersed in water, Okay. Right, everywhere the water is, there is the sponge. Everywhere the sponge is, there is the water. But the sponge is not the water. Okay. Right. So that was his idea. So, so, so Luther held to that view, and, and he emphasized this because Jesus said, "This is my body." Right. Right. And so he, he has to have this consubstantial view. Uh, Zwingli comes along and says, "We we disagree with transubstantiation," and Jesus's human nature is actually seated at the right hand of God the Father. Right. So Jesus, when he ascended, right, he ascended in bodily form, so he cannot be present, uh, like Luther believes in the Eucharist. So basically, um, Zwingli focused on Jesus's command, do this in remembrance of me. So the Zwinglian view is what transpires when we're celebrating communion is we're prompted by the bread and the wine to remember what Christ has done. Okay. This is followed by John Calvin, who also yes. says, no to transubstantiation, no to consubstantiation, yes to Zwingli, 
there is a memorial commemorative aspect. Do this in remembrance of me. But he adds, but Christ is spiritually present uh, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Not physically, not substantively, but Christ and all of his saving benefits is present. How this comes about, that the church has communion or participates in Christ, he says, I don't know how that happens. Does the Holy Spirit raise the church up to commune with Christ in heaven? Does the Holy Spirit bring Christ down to commune with the church on earth? He goes, I don't know how it works. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'd rather, I can't explain it, and I'd rather experience it anyway. Okay. So his view is called spiritual presence view. Okay. Four different views based on different understandings of key passages. So would Calvin and those in that tradition say that this spiritual presence of Christ that's there during communion, is that different than what's there when people are worshiping or being or the word is being preached? Or there is a uniqueness to Christ's presence when the church gathers and celebrates the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, which is often overlooked in our discussions, Paul says, is not the cup that we bless a participation, a koinonia, a communion in, a fellowship in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread that we bless a communion, a celebration, a fellowship, a participation in the body of Christ? So, Calvin camps on that. He also looks right. at John chapter 6, and he says, yes, there is a commemorative aspect, but we're not remembering one who is not spiritually present. He is spiritually present in a unique way. Okay, so it would be, would it be fair to say, while Calvin believed that certainly the Lord's Supper is not less than a memorial, yes. it's just more. It's more, yes. And if we say the memorial view is more what is the human action involved as we celebrate communion. Uh, the, the addition that Calvin would make, yes, there's a human element, remembrance, there's also a divine element. There's a divine action taking place by which Jesus Christ and his saving benefits is present to nourish, to sanctify, to unify, to... Um, call the church to be what the church should be. So of those four positions, where would you personally, yeah. as a theologian, align? Yeah, uh, spiritual presence. Okay, yeah. that, that, that's, that's what I thought. Yeah, so as a Baptist, uh, many Baptists are memorial yes. of you, but historically Baptists, part of the Baptist tradition has been spiritual presence, Okay, and I love that heritage. Absolutely. So um, would say that you were starting a church today. So what would be your practice of the Lord's Supper in your, in, your, in your church, and what would you call it? I would call it the Lord's Supper. It would be celebrated weekly, like uh, Four Oaks does, yes. after the, uh, the sermon, mm -hmm. because it is a gospel ordinance. It proclaims the Lord's death until he comes, broken body, shed blood, we're a gospel church, we preach the gospel, we enact the gospel through our celebration of the Lord's Supper, and I would teach on the spiritual presence view while also emphasizing we do this in remembrance of Christ, sure. but there's a divine action that is at work in a very concrete way. Would you call it an ordinance or a sacrament? I would call it an ordinance. Okay. I'm not super opposed to sacrament. It just, with sacrament, you get a bunch of baggage. 
It's just, it gets to be a little confusing. It gets to be a little confusing. Okay. Greg, this has been super helpful. I'm, I'm just sitting here. I would say I'm taking notes. I'm not in my <laughs> mind. I'm taking notes. Um, it has been such a blessing. You've been a fantastic host, man. Oh. I love all your questions. No. We could do this for another five times. Oh, right? we, we, we clearly <laughs> could. And, and I probably will call Greg next week okay. and ask him a bunch of more questions, but, but folks, thanks for, for, um, let me just say this. Thanks for being here, but thanks for having, um, an appetite and a hunger for the word of God and to grow biblically and theologically to even dial in to these times. And we really want to make them continue to make them available to you. Who knows? Greg might be back with us in the very near future. Please. Um, yeah, we would, we would love, we would love, we, we would love to have you. We would really love to have your wife. Sure. Um, I know she's the all-star. That's right. That's right. I, anyway, can, I can carry her um, bag of, you, of bats and balls, right? You yeah. can absolutely okay. do that. We'll that's call, great. well, she's the, she, yeah, she's the starter. Um, <laughs> Four Oaks, thanks for being here with us. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here next Monday. We'll be